so many ways you can speak about the Christmas story, and we've already heard and seen glimpses of it tonight. And I want to take um, one piece of it just after the birth of Jesus and focus on um, these three wise men that followed a star to um, come and see this baby. Read with me. You can follow on the screen. Matthew chapter 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from, the, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If you're like me, you probably have images of the video we saw while reading the story instead of the story, right? It was good. Um, I love what happens in this scene. These, these three wise men travel from a distance literally to do what? To come and worship this baby. They travel so far to come find this baby, and what do they do when they find him? They come to worship him. I find this as an amazing theme in this Christmas story, because we can talk about peace that the world needs, hope that everybody needs, love that everybody longs for, joy that is so sought after, but there's this theme in the Christmas story that's this theme of worship. Um, It seems like everyone who encounters this baby responds with worship. I mean, Jesus' mother... She bursts out in like gospel concert style stuff in Luke chapter 2 when she discovers what's going on and when she embraces God's plan for her. Um, Her cousin's husband, Zachariah, is just overjoyed with what's going on and he breaks out in song and we read that in Luke 2. The angels surprise these shepherds along the road and they start singing worship to God, singing glory to God in the highest. Then think about the titles Jesus gets. He will be great, son of the most high, His kingdom will never end. The Holy One, Son of God, the Savior. Makes sense that 900 years earlier, Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah coming and gave him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us, that God would move into our neighborhood, walk the earth. And so I was thinking about this. Why is there worship at the center of this story? Because it's, it's throughout the whole story of Jesus' birth, this idea of worship. And I thought about this. I think, I think you know this about yourself, and I know this about myself. You might not articulate it this way, but we're all worshipers. We all worship something. You know, do you know what I mean? We, we're all designed to worship something. 
One author, James Smith, says, it's not whether you worship, but what you worship. None of us have a choice to actually worship because we're all designed to give worth to something, to to love something as ultimate to give us meaning. So we're wired for that. John Calvin, 500 years ago, said, our hearts are like idol factories. Like he kind of described the sense like our heart just, it, it, it creates idols. We want, we look for stuff to worship. Bruce Springsteen had a song, and this was one of the lines from his songs. Um, Everybody's got a hungry heart. Basically what he's saying, we're all designed to worship. And think about the story. Herod was a worshiper. The King Herod that Dina spoke about and we read. Think about his background. Herod was a mock-up, kind of made-up king that was ruled by Rome to keep the Jews in order in the time. And he worshipped stuff. He worshipped power. He worshipped position. He worshipped his platform. He worshipped provision. And what he worshipped actually consumed him. Think about that, right? When he found out that these wise men were coming to look for a baby who would be called the king of the Jews and ruler, what does he do? He wants to kill this baby. The, 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 script, the, the text says that he's so disturbed in his heart and he gets obsessed. He calls all his workers and all the rulers and chief priests and teachers of the law. He says, you guys go and find this baby. He like all the resources he has in his disposal. He's like, go find this kid. And he wants to kill this baby. Because it, it, it messes with his own security, with his own want for power. What Herod worshipped actually consumed him. And you know, I think that's true with us. When we worship the wrong things, they consume us. Two things likely happen. One, they drain us. They drain us. Here's, I think, one of the reasons why. Because I think God, only God has the capacity to be worshipped. And when he's worshipped, he doesn't drain us. But when we worship other things, those things actually drain us because they pull from us, they take from us, they demand from us, sometimes they manipulate us, and sometimes they're the wonderful good things in our lives, but we don't just see them as normal, we end up worshiping them and putting them on a pedestal or on a platform. Well, Herod's life was sucked up by worshiping what Rome gave him. His life was even detoured as well. And I think when we worship things we're not called to worship, our life kind of takes a sidetrack. When we worship all the wrong things, we usually kind of have a course, like we, we get taken off course. How many, think about this, how many relationships have been wrecked because people worship their jobs? How many jobs have been wrecked because people worship affirmation? How many, um, how many lives are wrecked because people worship money or possessions? Think about that. When people worship the wrong things, other parts of their lives get sucked into that and get messed up and wrecked. And so worship is like a compass. It's seems like our heart needs a compass and worship is that compass that guides us one way or another but sometimes it can get misdirected i read this story around the time of 1914 1915 when the titanic sunk and um, that freaked everybody out at the time because they thought that ship wouldn't sink and so they would inquire more often about what was going on in the oceans and what was happening with these boats And there was an accident that took place that same year with two boats, the Monroe and the Nantucket. And the Monroe was was riding along the ocean and the Nantucket rammed it and it sunk and 42 sailors died. And the captain from the Nantucket, his name was Awesome, not Awesome like Awesome, but Awesome Barry. And he was on trial. They brought him to trial 
because they thought, what, did, what was he doing to ram into this boat? And interestingly enough, the captain of the other ship, the Monroe, Edward Jones, or Edward Johnson, they drilled him on the stand for five hours. Because what had happened in behind the scenes is the New York Times started to peek into this story, and they discovered that the captain of the Monroe, the ship that got hit, for a whole year, he was, he was uh, leading that ship, guide, navigating that ship with a, a compass that was off by two degrees. So for a whole year, he was, he was just navigating that ship with a compass that was just off by two degrees. And they drilled him because his compass brought him off course and caused this huge accident. At the end of the trial, these two captains of these two ships, they embraced and they started to cry and weep because they recognized the tragedy of misorientation. They recognized how a subtle misdirection can cause so much loss and tragedy. I think that's what happens when we worship the wrong things. We don't know that we're two, two degrees off or four degrees off, but we're, we're misguided. could lead us to crash. But these wise men, they're different. Something's different about them than Herod. What they discover and what they desire to worship doesn't drain them. It doesn't detour them. It actually fills them and it frees them. I love what happens when they see this, when they meet baby, the baby Jesus It says that they're overjoyed. Something fills them. They don't feel drained. They don't feel consumed. They feel overjoyed. And and something else takes place. It seems like it frees them. They come from so far to worship and they gladly release their gifts. They gladly unleash their generosity. They gladly say, you know what? What what I have, I want to give freely. And it's amazing that they would actually have that, that, that decision. They're not worried about their life. They're not worried about their titles. They're not worried about their platform. These are wise people, probably like um, uh, you know, astrologers from a time past, and they have position, they have some influence, but they come before Jesus and they realize, you know what, none of that matters. And that frees them fully. So as we kind of wrap this up tonight in a moment, I wonder, why, did they, why was that possible for them? I think they discovered the right person to worship they discovered the right direction to place their worship because they found something that they could worship that wouldn't drain them and wouldn't detour them, but it would fill them and it would free them. And you know, this Christmas, culture and the media try and kind of, you know, just tell us what we should worship in a sense, right? And we're just, we're driven by so many different things that we want to pay attention to. And I think it's because we're all wired to worship. We're all worshipers. We could worship like the wise men, or we can worship like Herod. And maybe, maybe, maybe as I'm talking tonight, you're thinking back to your life this last year, and maybe that some of the things you've worshipped actually have drained you. Maybe they've detoured you. Maybe they've sucked everything out of you because you've been worshipping the wrong things And here Christmas comes around, and here's the beautiful promise of Christmas. It's not just about a baby in a manger, because when you worship Jesus and you you realize that he's king and savior and the son of God, he won't drain you, he won't detour you, he fills you, and he frees you. That's the big difference. And so you're going to celebrate Christmas. Tomorrow's Christmas Eve, Christmas on Sunday. And, and here's one, just one thing. Can I ask you to do one thing over the holidays? First, acknowledge you're a worshiper. Just acknowledge. You know what? I, I do worship stuff. Just acknowledge it. That's the first. 
best step you can do because then you'll start seeing that maybe there's things in your life you worship that have drained you and detoured you. But then let me give you a little prayer. Not a long prayer, don't worry. You can memorize it like literally in two seconds. Six words. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, free me. Now, if you've come tonight and you're a believer and you're saying like, I already love Jesus, I follow Jesus, and that's great. You pray this prayer, it's going to affirm part of the things maybe that your life is about. But maybe you've come tonight more um, as a seeker, as a skeptic, as a guest, somebody thinking like, yeah, well, God, can he really do something in my life? And I'd invite you, pray the same prayer. What do you have to lose? If, there's, if you're recognizing there's stuff in your life that can drain you or detour you, then this Christmas just start saying this simple prayer. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, free me. And here's the beauty of this as, a, as we, we wrap this up with a song. When Mary is told what's going to happen, this is what she's told by the angel. The angel says, I will bring you good news. Good news. That's going to cause you great joy. And the source of that joy is the Savior that would be born. That's the object of our worship. We're going to end in worship tonight. We're going to end just putting our attention uh, on Christ as we close this gathering and the team leads us in this last song. I know it's going to be familiar to you. So why don't we uh, stand as we, as we sing this song together? Hey, would you take a moment and pray with me? Father, we are so grateful. We come to the end of this gathering um, taking the posture of the wise men coming before you, uh, worshiping you. God, maybe some of us tonight have recognized some of the things that we have worshipped that have drained us or are draining us or detouring us or consuming us, God. And God, we are so grateful that part of the heartbeat of this story is that you sent your son Jesus to save us from that. And instead, not to drain us or detour us, but when we discover who you are and when we come to the place of bowing before you, you actually fill us and you free us. God, we want to embrace that this Christmas. And we affirm that tonight. And maybe for some here, Lord, you know each and everyone's heart. And maybe there's some here just so longing for that. And as they step out in faith this season and Repeat that simple prayer. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, free me. God, we trust because you long this to happen. We trust that you will respond to them and begin working in their hearts and lives. And uh, may we be a church community that are here for one another to keep growing in what that means. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.